This evening I want, we've been discussing from the Gita, as you know, and the topics have been somewhat theologically complex, given the subject matter there, as understood by our uh, illustrious lineage. And um, with the theology than others, so it's always a, a bit of a challenge to speak to a mixed audience, so to speak. Pujapad Sri Maharaj used to say, too high for some and too low for others. Hmm. So uh, hopefully everyone got something from those uh, discussions. But I'd like to just open the floor for any questions this evening. See if we can bring the topic down a little bit, perhaps, or make it or something less complex. Then again, depends what questions you're asked, I suppose. But any questions? <clears throat> any topic? <clears throat> well, I mean, if Krishna is so um, merciful and powerful, why, why doesn't he just make his place to a utopia? Mm-hmm. And uh, like, not one person is suffering, and um, and like, this place is, is like run by a bunch of. Uh, Seems to be a couple aspects to your question. One is a is a kind of theological and philosophical question about the nature of God, and that in relation to the fact that the world has suffering in it, and the idea that God is good, all good. So, how can there be suffering in the world unless God's not all good if He's all powerful? That seems to be your one part of your question. And that is tied to more of a kind of a particular political take that you have apparently on the world that uh, that they whoever they are is are running the world in a dictatorial manner. Um, I suppose that um, there's a number of people that feel, in a broader sense, that that. Um, have you ever read the book 1984? Okay, well, yeah, the, anyway, <laughs> you know what it's about then. Uh, it's about that part of the question that you're 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 asking about that I'm uh, uh, talking about at the moment. Um, there was a well, it was a book where the government was um, uh, watching every move and so forth. Uh, I it, it was, some people feel that the, that the government is run by corporations and corporations are watching every move so that they can sell us more products and and so forth. There's probably some truth to that, but uh, they is probably not as, um, is more broad. They is us. 
So, uh, uh, you know, it's your neighbor down the street or, or whomever. And it's, it's part of the way people are in the world and in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a capitalistic uh, society to use a, 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 a Hindu term, a, a vicious society, a, a society, a community of, of um, profiteers, so to speak, mercantile, mercantile men, merchants, um, business people. I like to say sometimes that America's contribution to the world is packaging. They package things nicely uh, through ads and so forth and, and convince you to buy them and so forth. So anyway, that's a whole other, other topic. But, uh, but so let's go to the theological side of your question. Whoever's in charge, I, I want to say to you, it's really we're in charge. We are the people. And, um, and, and human nature is not, um, is what it is. Human nature lends its lends to a, a dishonest um, uh, lifestyle. What I mean by that is that we theologically are the atma, the self, consciousness, but we have a human dress. Can you follow me on that? A human body, that at least theoretically, mm-hmm. the human body mm-hmm. is our kind of biological. And, and psychological self. It's really a separate self from what we are ultimately, but we're very much wrapped up in that biological and psychological self. And that biological and psychological self is one that has needs. Your body has needs, right? Your mind has needs, right? And you move according to those needs, you have necessities, you have desires, and they compel you to, to act in, in pursuit of, uh, of those desires. Am I right? Okay, so that's the human situation, right? Human predicament. Even our human intelligence may say, our, our mind, our senses may touch something, smell something, hear something, see something, and send messages to the management of manas, of mind. Hmm? And mind says, I like that, I don't like that. So let's say it says, I like that feeling. But the intelligence, a voice, the buddhi in the back says, but it's not good for you. Have you ever decided that you like something, but you have a faint voice in the back that says, it's not going to be good for you to do it? even though you like it? Exactly. That's the human condition. And then we do it. <laughs> um, so we're said to be different from animals because we're rational, but hmm, uh, the yoga community would, would, would question that. How rational are we? If, despite our education, despite our income and uh, power and influence and so forth, if our senses and minds have a greater influence over us than our intellect, then we are more like a two-legged animal that doesn't have that kind of intellect uh, to the same extent. So this is the human condition. So you admit, naturally, of course, honestly, that you suffer 
from that human condition. That's the cause of your suffering. Do you follow me? You, you, you taste and smell things, you like them, but you know they may not be good for you, or, or in excess they may not be good for you, but you do it anyway, and so you suffer. It's basically, you're out of control. <laughs> I'm not just saying you, I mean, it's just the human society. So no one's different in that regard. Uh, some are a little better at it than others, relatively speaking. Some may be less, um, in, a, in a gross material sense, affected by, um, let's say someone has a, 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 has an ad, a physical addiction. Hmm? Someone else may have a psychological addiction or physical addictions, maybe psychological for that matter. But there may be, uh, there may be um, someone may have an addiction to alcohol. Someone may else may have an addiction to something that's acceptable in society, more so than excess of alcohol, but it's still an addiction and it's still not good for them, and they still do it, and they're not any different, really, categorically, than the alcoholic or the drug addict. Hmm? Um, and so, this is, this is the human condition. Now, yoga and spiritual practice is the way to uh, take advantage of the human condition and the fact that intellect is prominent in the human condition and consciousness comes to the fore and we kind of feel ourselves we feel that there's more to life, there's meaning, there's purpose to life. There's really, there's really no purpose to, 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 to matter. You follow what I'm saying? Like, if, I want to give you an example of matter. If you, have you ever played pool? How about baseball? Football? Have you ever kicked a football? Okay. A football is made out of, uh, well pigskin and uh, air, right? Now, you kick a football. You've seen people kick footballs, right? Do you think a football would ever say, ouch? No. Why? Because it doesn't, it doesn't have consciousness, right? Right? Right. You would say, ouch, if, if someone kicked you, because you have consciousness. Hmm? So consciousness is the feeler. Hmm? Matter in itself doesn't have that uh, consciousness. Hmm? So um, the, the human life, when we start to... F- and not having consciousness, uh, not being able to say, ouch, or have an opinion hmm? about something means that matter in it of itself has, has, no, has no value. We, we give it value. Hmm? You take the skin of a pig, you don't do it, but some people do. A pig, and you, I mean, you blow it up, make a game out of it, and make millions of dollars out of it, and you've made, you made some value out of it, so to speak, relatively speaking. We, we as conscious beings make up meanings out of things. Hmm? <laughs> Things mean th- things to us. That they're, it's only relative to us. Hmm? And, and so that's happening in human life. In human life, that's happening. Consciousness is doing that. So human life, as much as it's a problem, as I said earlier, it's also an opportunity to make a solution to the problem. So the way to make a solution to the problem of your humanity, which is like your animality, you do things that aren't in your own interest and so forth. And um, the, the, it, the, the way to get out of that is, is spiritual practice. 
Hmm? This is the idea. Because very, very basically in spiritual practice, of course, we learn to control the mind, to control the senses. We, um, we fortify our buddhi, our intelligence, with scriptural advices and, and words of saints and so forth. And that gives us direction. Despite the impressions in our citta, hmm? uh, the sangskars, the tendencies to act, we, we, we listen to our buddhi, hmm? And then we unravel this uh, this identification that we have with the body, thinking I'm an American or I'm somebody's son or somebody's father and so on and so forth. So human life is a problem and human life is an opportunity to make a solution to the problem. The problem is that we all do things that are pretty stupid, right? We We exploit the world on some level. You said they. Okay, let's say, for example, they are dictators exploiting us and so forth. But are you a dictator in your own circle? Um, you have to think about that. Yeah, like if, if, I, if, I, if I worked at um, McDonald's, then I'd be, be killing cows. Yeah, but, but you don't work at McDonald's, but you do do something. And within the context of the things that you do, it would be good to look and see how much you're a dictator in terms of the things that you have control over and how much you want them to go the way your mind wants them to go. Hmm? Um, you have an idea how things should be. It may not be very well thought out. and Not everybody may agree with you. But you, in a sense, are they. You're a dictator too, in your own circle. You may be a little bit less or a little bit more. Or, but I'm saying this is the human condition. The human condition is to be an exploiter, a taker. Hmm? You're saying we're ruled by dictators. They're taking from us. They're manipulating us and so forth. But in our, just like, I'll give you another example. In a herd of cows, if you have a young cow that's the, that's the smallest in the herd, then that cow will get pushed around hmm? more than the others. She'll have to wait for the others to eat and whatever's left, she'll come and eat. And if you watch that as a human being, you'll think, that poor cow, you know, she's... But then, if another cow is born, and that cow becomes the smallest cow, hmm, the cow that was previously being pushed around starts to push her around. She doesn't think, I got pushed around, I'm not going to, you know, do that. She starts pushing that one around. Hmm? So this is, this is the material condition that we find ourselves in. We, we are they. We are exploiters, we are dictators in our own, however small our circle is. It could be on a corporate level, a government level. Um, it could be in a household. Hmm? Uh, it could be amongst friends. It could be amongst the things that you have only. Hmm? And you want to, we, we want to control. This is the material condition. We want to control and we want to uh, take from the natural world for the purposes that we've conceived of in our own mind. In other words, we're see. How do you see the world? You see it as something. We kind of walk in the world as if I'm in the center, and everything I see is to be used by me as I want. I might think I will use it this way. I will give it to somebody else, hmm? because that's how you started to think. But for one reason or another, but. I'm saying it's very subtle, but on all levels, as much as we are identified as 
an American, as a male, as a son, as a father, as a daughter, hmm? as a Caucasian, as a, a, um, a, 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 a um, Mongol, Mongoloid? One of those other races. Uh, whatever it may be, as much as we think that's what we are, we are dictators. We are exploiters. Do you understand that point? In other words, this is what the human, human condition does to us. We're on the take. Your body has needs. Your mind has, uh, is filled with desires. Hmm? In order to fulfill those desires and those perceived bodily needs, you're taking hmm? from the world. You're exploiting the world. That's what you're doing. And not everybody's doing that in the world. All human beings are exploiting the world in order for the, to preserve their sense of self. If you don't, then you'll die, right? If you well, no, it's, it's really bad problem because we have to we have to operate in their in their system. You know? We ha- it doesn't matter whose system it is. It's not it's not it's not it's not their system. It's your own system. You you have to take you have to eat right. Do you have to eat? So, how will you get the food? Well, what if you don't work for them? Why don't you just get some land and, you know, live on the land? Well, then you'd have to grow the food, right? And then you would have to take the food, <laughs> right? See what I'm saying? And the vegetables will be going, what's with this dictator? You see? So that's my point. We're all dictators on some level. We're all takers. We're all exploiters. Because someone appears to be exploiting us, then we, we call them they. <laughs> but they is us. This is the human condition. Hmm? We are all takers. You have to be a taker because your mind is taking. It's, it's, it has wants. Your body has demands, and you're serving it. You already told us and I'm not singling you out, but I'm just, you know, you asked the question. You already said that your mind and your senses tell you to do things sometimes that you know aren't good for you, but you do them anyway. So that means you're under the influence. Who's the dictator then? The mind is the dictator. The senses are the dictator. Your human condition is the dictator. You're actually nice in your pure condition, but now you're under the influence of your mind. And your senses. Aren't they, they not dictating to you? Hmm? They are. The tongue, what if the stomach says, I'm full? But the tongue says, I'm not done tasting. You've got a problem, right? Two dictators are, are fighting with one another. There's a war going on. Two dictators. How terrible the world is. And it's the world of your own <laughs> biological and psychological self. Hmm? So you can extrapolate that and make that, you know, Iran is fighting with Israel, you know, or, or whatever. And you could say, really, it's not Iran, it's really Korea, or it's Russia, or it's, you know, the Illuminati, or whatever. You can think whatever you want, but the fact is, the war is going on in you. Hmm? You understand? Yeah, yeah. You're under the influence of the dictation of your senses, and they're pulling you in different directions. Hmm? And, and, and the mind. And there's this voice of intellect in the background, and then there's, and there's the voice of spiritual intellect coming from texts like the Gita and telling you, you should do it like this. And then we go, well, whatever. Yes, but. 
I should, but there we are, serving the dictators and then calling other people dictators. So, we, so the, those people that you call the dictators, whoever they are, they're in the same situation as you. And they're just doing what you do on a different level. That's all. They're just pursuing the dictates of their minds and their senses. So that's the one side of it. Now, why does Krishna allow this terrible war to go on? (laughs) Why does he allow the dictation, the dictators of the mind and the senses to, uh, to, uh, uh, to stay in control and so forth? Well, the answer is he doesn't. He's canvassing to try to put an end to the dictatorship of the mind and the senses. That's what he's telling you in the Gita. Give up, come out from under the influence of these dictators. And he's saying, instead, come under my dictation. But you say, he's all-powerful, so why doesn't he just do it? Make me do it. Well, he kind of wants you to want to do it. After all, you have some will. Hmm? Some will. You're a unit of will, some capacity to will. Hmm? Um, so, actually, Krishna goes out of his way, so to speak, to try to try to get you to try to get you to understand just exactly what you're talking about. You, there's dictators out there. That's what Krishna's saying. There's dictators out there. They're exploiting us taking advantage of us. Yeah. We should put an end to them. Hmm? We, should, we should protest. Go on a protest march. Hmm? And, uh, and, and, and not only that, he says, but we should establish myself hmm, as, as, as the dictator who rules by affection, by love. Hmm? Because he rules by love, then... then then he 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 um, his his rulership, so to speak, his his domain, his um, people, his that he reigns over, um, his subjects, hmm, they're full of love too, hmm, because like attracts like. Hmm. And serving the dictation of the mind and the senses is not even reasonable, what to speak of being loving. It's very mean. Hmm? It's unreasonable to serve those dictators of the minds and senses. And it makes for a mean person, hmm? a person who's a taker rather than a giver. So Krishna says, be a giver. Hmm? But how can he make you be a giver? That's something you have to do. He can present the opportunity to be free to you to give. Hmm? But you have to give. Hmm? I mean, he really kind of infringes on the free will by way of, of manifesting bhakti in the world. And you could come in touch with it without even knowing it and start to come under its, 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 its influence. And then one day it's got its grip on you and suddenly you feel compelled that you have to take it up and so forth. It's not rational, really, how we're involved here. That's Krishna's influence. That's God. That's the divine descent in the world, making that opportunity possible. So Krishna is, 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 is a better champion of your own cause than you are. He wants to stop the dictation. 
just wants to point out to you on what level the dictation is. Hmm? Let me give you another example. Let's say there's hungry people in Philo, California. So you find out about it, and you think there's hungry people. So you come home here, and you say, I'd like to pass the hat around and ask everybody to put a dollar in to feed the hungry people. So they pass the hat around, and everybody's given a dollar, and it comes to Madhu Mungo, says, I'm not given. And you say, whoa, bad. Why not? He says, because giving a dollar to feed those people is not going to stop their hunger. The problem is the mayor of Philo. He's a dictator. He's an exploiter. We've got to change the political system. Everybody goes, wow, yeah. So then Madhu passes the hat, says, let's give a dollar to change the, get a new mayor. Maybe you'll be me. <laughs> so we're passing the hat around to change the system rather than just give a handout of food, which will ultimately feed more people. Then the, then the hat comes to me. I say, I'm not giving. But he goes, ooh, bad. Why is he not giving? Uh, and I have my answer, because you're all the dict. We, we are the dictators. And, and because feeding the stomach will never end hunger. We lived as an elephant and ate 200 pounds a day, and we're still hungry now in our human life. The belly will never be filled. Hunger will never be stopped by feeding people. Hmm? Neither will it change, be stopped by changing the political system and removing one dictator and putting in another dictator. Hmm? We're removing, one, removing one person who's under the dictates of his mind and senses and putting another person in charge who's under the dictates of his mind and senses. Hmm? So I, I say, no, we should pass the hat for teaching the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? This will put light on who the real dictators are. It's not the mayor. He's not the problem. He is the problem, but the problem is bigger than that. Hmm? The problem is that people are under the dictates of their minds and senses, and so the, the fullness that they are as a self, as a unit of consciousness that doesn't need to eat, doesn't need to sleep, has nothing to fear, can't die, and so forth. Hmm? Isn't, doesn't, it, this, this self doesn't know itself. We can bring it out. We can comprehensively end the, the hunger problem. We can comprehensively end the, the, the disease problem. Indeed, we're dealing with a problem that most people think is not even solvable, the death problem. The death problem can be solved philosophically. And by applying oneself in relation to that philosophy, I should say, biological death will occur. But the, but if you understand philosophically and act accordingly, hmm, act in terms of philosophy that says you're you're different from matter, then uh, you'll realize that you don't die. So, really, uh, Krishna is very kind to offer the solution to the problem. Of course, you might think. Why did he set it up so there was no problem or something like that? Well, that's a great mystery that all the, all the theological traditions try to deal with to one extent or another, but the way we deal with it is like this. In Vaikuntham, that part of the world beyond suffering, hmm? there is Narayana, hmm? one of the forms of Krishna, forearmed form Narayana. 
And Narayan has many subjects there. Well, they're relishing Salokya, Sarsti, Samipya, Sarupya, different kinds of mukti, of liberation, of salvation, of freedom in relation to himself. Hmm? And he thinks, this Salokya, Sarsti, Sarupya, Salokya, these are so nice. They are so nice. Hmm? I want to give this to somebody. I want to bestow this on someone. Who can he give it to? Everyone has it there. And he's Satya Sankalpa. God, whatever God wants, happens. So he wants to bestow it. So a world is manifest. Hmm? So that he can bestow it. It's not something that happens in time, but I mean, this is, we can only talk about it like that because of the limits of language and, and, and thought to talk about things which transcend them both. Narayan, in other words, who, who is a form of Krishna, and God, as much as God is a lover and lives on love, God experiences all nuances of love. So in the form of Narayan, Krishna has a desire to taste compassion. This is the high end of love in this world, but it's the low end of love in Vaikuntha. And so there needs to be another world. There's the world of Vaikuntha. There has to be another world where he can, he can experience compassion. That, that's a leela, a drama, a play of God. Hmm. We have nothing to complain about. We are God, and we're not God at the same time. Hmm. We are but the shaktis of God. He, by which he does what he wants. We're one of the shaktis. He has different shaktis. Maya shakti, jeev shakti, swarup shakti. Hmm? So God is playing himself out. Hmm? And to taste compassion, a world is required. So a world is manifest. And, the, and, the, and, and within the Vaikuntam, the Narayan, the Mahasankasham, becomes Mahavishnu. Hmm? He consorts with Maya hmm? and Brahma's born. It's a long story. And he is the conglomerate of all jivas that then 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 biological life begins after that and so forth. So and then he avatars, he descends in the world and teaches the Gita and so forth. Hmm? So we can see, this is what's going on, we can see that 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 uh uh, we can see that there is suffering in the world and we can see that there is a way to end suffering. We can look to the mystics who have ended suffering. Arguably. Hmm? If you meet someone, for example, that lives in a cave that, that, that doesn't eat unless people bring him something. Hmm? And, uh, it, it, like I talked about the Goswami, they forgot to eat, they forgot to sleep by their chanting. You would think, this guy solved the problems of life. He, he's not suffering. Hmm? So people like this, over, over decades and centuries, in different traditions, stand like great lighthouses hmm? at, the, at, the, at the shore of, you know, of human life. It's like the shore. We're, we're right at the shore. We could go into the water of consciousness and live there forever. Hmm? 
They stand like lighthouses. They're showing the way. Hmm? They're not standing on, on, on soft ground. Hmm? They're standing on very firm ground. We'll talk about one of them in the next days. Prahlad, the devotee of Narasimha, this avatar of Vishnu. What kind of ground he was standing on. Hmm? The things that he said and so forth. The lifestyle that he'd led. Hmm? It's otherworldly within this world. That's why I say sometimes, people may not believe in God, but it's hard not to believe in love of God if you actually come in touch with it. I don't mean somebody says, I love God. But love of God involves a transformation. Hmm? Entirely. It's the ending of exploitation, the exploitation we were talking about. It's become, it's in the, in the very low end of it, it's becoming free from the dic- dic- dictatorship and, and, and stopping from being a dictator oneself. And becoming, being a lover, how, how rare that is in the world. Hmm? So such people, they, 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 will, they will never go away. They may be few. One in a million. Hmm? One in, what is it, Gita say? Muktanam Bhagavatam says, Muktanam Lapisadhanam Narayana Parayana Nakutaschana Bhivati. What does he say? Muktanam Lapisadhanam Narayanam Parayanam. Among many muktas, even, many siddhas. The Gita says, seventh chapter. Among many thousands... Right, well, I know the English. <laughs> among a thousand perfected ones, still only one may know the truth. So these are rare people. Even the siddhas are rare. To speak of the ones who know Krishna truth, these are rare people. But they're so extraordinary hmm, that their histories will be talked about forever. Uh, look, at the, look at the Christ, for example. He just changed all of Europe course, with a little propaganda, but but still, he, he was galvanizing that. I mean, he was behind that. That, uh, However, even if it's, a, it, it's told, uh, uh, he had the power to compel people in such a way, and others. So these these, these examples will never go away hmm, from human society. And it's the smaller group that's pursuing this. There's a few of us here that are interested in this. Huh? But good things and expensive things come in small packages. Hmm? It's very costly, is what I'm saying. What I'm telling you, what the Gita is telling you, it's very costly. You have to give up the dictates of your mind and senses. Oh, that's very costly. That would be a high price to pay. Hmm? It looks like they're just sitting here, poor people, chanting, farming, you know, whatever. They're paying a very high price. They want to pay this price. They've signed on for this. We want to pay the price. Hmm? And they will end all suffering hmm? in their own lives and become like lighthouses themselves in due course for other people, for showing the way. Hmm? So if you want to get rid of those dictators, Krishna is the one who's giving you the solution. Does that help? It's a long answer, but it was a big question. Yeah, it is. It would be worth all of us, me too, listening to it again and again. It's good, good advice there. What else?
Yes. Marsh, um, when uh, in the Brihadaratamrita, did Gopakumar encounter a Vaikuntha planet where Krishna resided in his two-art form um, prior to entering into Gopakumar? Once I went, that's your question, to Barakala in South India, in um, near Trivandrum, Kerala, and uh, it's it's a very you know, very sacred place. Of course, and they have the big Janardhan deity of, of of like Mahavishnu, like twenty four feet long. He's like laying down like this, relaxing, and uh, uh, <coughs> like Mahavishnu lying on on Seshanag and floating in the ocean of the causal ocean, something like that. And um, and in their religious conception, these were Ramanujas, a different lineage, they have the idea that that Narayan is the primal godhead and he has different avatars. Krishna is one of them. That's their perspective. Our perspective is Krishna is the source of Narayan. Their perspective is that Narayan, Krishna is one of the many faces of Narayan. Hmm? It's very interesting and uh, uh, subject, but but at any rate, on the day that I went there, he was showing the face of Gopal. So they dressed him up on different days, like for Krishna Janmashtami, then he'll appear. They'll dress him like Gopal in some way, or some resembling. They give him a flute. On Ram Nomi, they'll dress him like on the string of Chaturdasi, like that. They say, so on these days in Vaikuntha, he shows himself. And apparently some other days, because it wasn't Janamastami that I went there. Hmm? Um, so Gopakumar, he it was a, a, a chanting his mantra, as it's described, and, and experiencing different religious conceptions, different planes of, um, of, uh, of spiritual consciousness, realms. And he came to the Vaikuntha realm where God is worshipped in reverence and awe and so forth. His destiny was to go to the pastoral leelas of Krishna, which is not majestic love, but intimate love. But when he was in Vaikuntha, that Narayan, knowing his destiny, but loving him, wanted to keep him there. So he showed his, his Gopal leela, that's what he saw. He saw the Gopal Leela as manifest by Narayan. It's similar, but not the same. Hmm? It's similar, but not the same. And the inhabitants of Vaikuntha, they see that and they go, oh, yeah, that's very that's a very nice. Narayan has those playful Leelas. Huh? I met a man in South India, Sanskrit teacher and a, and a, and a very deeply religious man. And uh, we're visiting his library. He had his for lunch we were sitting and chatting with him and we were discussing Krishna Leela and he was very happy so my godmother Narsinghamar said to him Prabhu whenever we speak of Krishna Leela you are always very happy very jolly he said yes yes yeah. and then he said but whenever we speak of Narayan then that man interrupted him and said that is another thing he went like this oh I was shocked I was just see he has this reverential love for Narayan and it just took over. He took over him. It was very powerful, and God was very, 
very um, charmed by that. So he had his dominant emotion in, in reverential love. And in the context of that, that's a side of Narayan, and he can be like that at times, and, and so forth. Yes, yes. So this is their their perspective. They don't have the perspective that there are that there's the possibility of sakya, dasya, sakya, vatsalya, madhuri, these kinds of love and intimacy. But they see the leelas sometimes. So he was shown that by Narayan, and as I said, Narayan wanted to keep him there. He loved him, hmm? but he knew his destiny was otherwise. So Narayan inspired Narada. And Uddhav, Narada, really, to, inst- to instruct him. You have to go on from here. Chant your mantra. Uh, and indeed, he became a little bored in Vaikuntha, which is an unheard of idea. Hmm? So he went to Ramya, to Ayodhya, to Dwarka, and ultimately to the Brajalila of Krishna. Hmm? So that's a f- feature of, of Vaikuntha. Hmm? So then when he progressed... Did he go to Dwarka, Natura, Vrindavan? Yeah, he went to Ayodhya, Ramlila, then to Dwarka, so, then to the Brajlila. So there's a lot of information about, um, in the canto, about Krishna in Vrindavan proper and in Dwarka, as the king means, mm-hmm. but... There seems to be relatively little information about the mature section. Do, do, have you ever read something more about that? Well, um, it's a, he didn't spend as much time in Mathura, of course, in, in his Leela, but um, there are some compelling chapters there. It was, um, uh, uh, I believe, from there that Uddhava returned to... Vrindavan, to speak with the inhabitants, the, and the meeting of Krishna and Uddhava is as there in those leelas, and that's probably the most charming part. And it's um, if you want to explore the, the Mathura Leela, then I can advise you to read Gopal Champu, the section after Krishna goes to Mathura, he kills Kamsa, and he gets an education, and so forth. He meets the most charming part, he meets Uddhava, his friend, and sends him back to, to Vrindavan to counsel him. And there's, you can see the very much Jiva Goswami plays out the connection between Mathura and Vrindavan because Vrindavan is the suburbs of Mathura, the city. So it's the Mathura Mandal. This big circle is called Mathura and Vrindavan is the, is the, is the suburban area, the urban area really, urban, suburban, the rural area connected, uh, like like something like San Francisco is could be compared to Matura, and then here we are, you know, in the rural outback of San Francisco. So the Matura Leela is developed there nicely in Gopal Champu. Very, it's very, um, very powerful because Krishna is very close to Vrindavan Leela, and the, the connection is palpable, uh, more so than in, in Dwarka. But of course, all, both the Matura Leela and the Dwarka Leela are all reflecting back on the Braj Leela and showcasing it. Hmm. So, some good reading there. There's a nice, pretty good edition of Gopal Champu available. 
in English. It's a, it's a very, it's a, it's, it's the masterpiece of Jiva Goswami. He took the, the Krishna Sandarbha, a philosophical book, and turned it into poetry, so to speak. And in the context of doing so, retells the whole of the, the manifest lila in this world in such a way that even Nanda and Yasoda are fascinated as he tells it to them. Through the through the mouth of two two um, um, bards, two uh, uh, minstrels, Madhukanta and Snigdhakanta, hmm, who have omniscience in their retell. It's a very beautiful story. They retell the whole lila. The lila. The, the setting is in 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 Golok, hmm, and these are distant relatives of Nanda Maharaj, Snigdhakanta, and Madhukanta. It means. Snigdhakanta, affectionate throat, and Madhukanta, sweet throat. It means that they, they could speak and sing very sweetly. Hmm? And they had a special quality, of, which, is what, which, which was that they had some omniscience. They had the knowing about people. So they would come and sing stories about the people that they were sitting before, about their lives, and they would be fascinated by that. So there was, there was some distant relatives of Nanda Maharaj and they were in the vicinity so he called him and said, please, let us hear our story. Hmm? And so every day there's an assembly. It goes on for days and they come and one speaks and the other speaks and they retell the whole Leela. And after Jiva Goswami has done this whole, is finished and he said, so here I've played out all these sentiments. Pick the one you want hmm? and go for it. <laughs> He showcased all the sentiments of the Brajalila, Dasya Rasa, Shanta, uh, Matsali Rasa, Sakya Rasa, Madhuri Rasa. Pick what you want, take it, enter there, go there. Mm. It's very beautiful. Highly recommended. Anything else? Yes. Um, it's often said that Krishna and his Parshada set the example for Sadakas and Gauravila. Some of them. The Goswamis, in particular, that's why they're highlighted. Right. That's one of the reasons. Raghunath asked us, so I'm going to hear directly from Mahaprabhu. Um, I, I started thinking that the example for sadhakas is found in Mahaprabhu's response. But then I started to wonder whether or not it could be harmonized that Raghunath Goswami understood the importance of taking the fifth position and looking through the small lens of the telescope, but still he wanted not disregarding Srut Damodar, he still wanted, he had some eagerness to hear directly from Mahaprabhu if that could somehow be harmonized. Right. Both both things are there. One time I was with my one of my godbrothers, Ramaswar. We used to um, arrange in the morning on Saturdays, this is many, many years ago, in Los Angeles in Prabhupada's temple, um, for other devotees to go out chanting in the streets and so forth, on Saturdays, all of the married people and so forth in the community, we would make these arrangements and, and pack lunches and things like that and prepare that in the morning. Hmm. And um, and Prabhupada was, was there uh, at this time. And so we would do this every Saturday morning. And so there we were packing these lunches, you know, and getting things ready and so forth. And then and, and Prabhupada was in the, in the temple room and he started chanting, yeah, he would, as he would before each class, Jayaradha Madhava. And we looked at one another 
And we said, we can't, we just can't miss this. You know, you know, we're going. Lunch is later. We'll, we'll, they'll be late. You know, but we, we can't miss this. So that, that's kind of what you're talking about. Raghunath Das wanted to have directly the audience of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And at the same time, of course, he had been a, 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 um, placed under the direction of Sarup Damodar. And of course, what comes out at Mahaprabhu says, Sarup Damodar knows more than me. I'm not cheating you. You should take advantage of him and so forth. But, um, but both sides should be there. We should want to be there in the association and, and want to serve. And it's not that, well, well, you know, the idea is to serve regardless and not to enjoy, but, you know, you, you want to be there too. Something like that. That helps, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to balance those two, those two things. And we find sometimes in the Lila the, the crossing over. Hmm? Gadadar wanted to cross over. He was going to set an example for Sadakas, but he, wanted to, he set another example. Crossed over the etiquette. So, so that's that's charming. Shri Sri Gaurnatananda ki jai, Gaurbhakta Brinda ki jai, Gaurpreemanandi.